You know, one of the things I love about this fellowship so much is that the, the task or the job of exhortation, which is another Bible fancy word for preaching, is shared here amongst several people. Did you hear the word of God spoken boldly and clearly from at least three or four different voices already this morning? I love that, and I praise God for that, and I'm so thankful for you for that. Um, and I'd ask you to pray with me again, and just before we pray, I'd ask you to pull your phone or your Bible if you've got one, and pull open an app like version, something that might give you a snapshot of the scripture so that you can put your own eyes on it and take a look at Romans chapter 13 for me. Now, growing up, when I was using a regular paper Bible, I had to train myself to put little tabs on it to try to search through and find different books of the Bible. The cool thing is these days with the technology we have on our phones, we can actually just tap the book of the Bible and open it right up, and the whole scripture is right there in front of us. So I'd invite you to do that with me. And then we're going to pray again, and we're going to dive in and focus on a few verses from Romans chapter 13. So would you pray with me this morning one more time? And God, I, I echo everything that's been said here today, and thank you for uh, the great word that you've already spoken. And I just ask that you take that word now and blossom it out and develop it for us so that our hearts may be encouraged in you. We know that the good news of Jesus is always preceded by the bad news of our sin. And yet the bad news of our sin is dealt with by the good news of Jesus. So today we're going to hear a little bit of both of that. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to reset ourselves spiritually on Sunday mornings. Come together just like this as a family and just focus in on you and on your life and on your word. So we ask, God, that you come and speak to every person in the room, every heart that is here. And we ask it in your name, and together we pray and say, amen and amen. All right. Well, and as Vendetta said a few minutes ago, Romans chapter 13 last week was a little weird because we were talking about the government and the faith we have in Jesus Christ and how those two interact in the world, and specifically how the government is used as a tool of God in order to keep order to punish evildoers and those who break the law and do wrong, but to also commend those who choose to do right. Sometimes the government does that and sometimes the government doesn't do that so well. But the government of God, as Vendetta mentioned a few minutes ago as the church, is called to make up that difference and to step in and to speak the truth in love to each other. And Heather drew attention to the word love and a self-sacrificing form of love that you only find in the Christian faith and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I want to share with you today, specifically as what's up on the screen, here's a snapshot from the second half of Romans chapter 13. And I'm just going to read it out for you. This is the same version that we just read a couple of minutes ago. Heather just read. It says, love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is Time is running out. What time is running out? The time between today and the time that we pass away or meet the Lord Jesus in the air. Every single one of us only has so much time on planet Earth to live our lives. And God calls us to a life of love forever so how much time we have to live on this Earth. 
And so what we're going to talk about today is the concept of love and how not only does it do no wrong to others, but how the way we interact with love and our world actually calls us and draws us to God. God is the one who makes love happen. And we're going to delve into that kind of first right off the bat here. Here's the idea. If you look in a separate place in scripture, this is 1 John chapter 4. Here is how God defines love. God says, dear friends, through Paul, let us, uh, through John, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, conversely, does not know God because, say this with me, God is love. Now, uh, back in the day, I used to uh, teach a little math. I don't know if you guys know that I was a special education teacher for many years. And one of the subjects I got to teach was math. And so as I was reading through the scripture many years ago, it occurred to me that it makes a very easy, simple math equation. If you understand that the word is in the English language means equals, then you can say that God equals love. Now, we also believe that Jesus is a real person who was born sinlessly as a baby and grew up to be a grown man who went to the cross to die so that the effects of our sin could be wiped away forever. And then he rose again from the grave miraculously. It was a miracle that a dead man came back to life. And the Bible teaches that by the power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus rose from the dead. And only God can do that. Only God can conquer death and the effects of sin. So we actually say that Jesus not only is the Son of God, Jesus is God. Jesus is not a God separate from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is God. We say that He, along with His Father and the Holy Spirit, three in one, are one God in three persons. So if you do the math on that, you can also say that Jesus equals love, just like God equals love. Can you not? That's reasonable. But then the question is, with that question mark over on the right, how does that affect you and me? How do you and I love? Now we know what the stores define love as when it comes around February 14th. The idea around Valentine's Day is that my love for you is romantic and based on feelings. But God would say that love is more than feelings. God would say that love is something very much more than feelings. And here's kind of how that works out. The idea is explained to us in what we would call in the church the love chapter. Now, you may have heard the love chapter read at a wedding before. Do you know how it starts? Love is patient. Love is. See, a lot of people in here have already got it memorized, but I took the liberty of spelling it out for each one of us so that we could remember the last time we heard or read the love chapter. I want to read it for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Think about that one in and of itself for a moment. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always persevere, perseveres. And you can find this, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13. This is only verses 4 through 7. Now, for you math whizzes out there, is it reasonable for us to substitute the word love for the word God in this passage? Well, even if it's not, I did anyway. Here's what it looks like. God is patient. God is kind. Now, go ahead and scan down through the rest of that scripture and just see how the character of God plays itself out in this example of what real love is. Now, if you scan that whole thing, do you see anything in there that isn't true? Everything that's listed there is pretty well true based on our understanding and knowledge of how God's character works. If you look back through the whole of Scripture, you can see that by the Messiah, by the Savior that he's provided, named Jesus, that he has provided for love for us. In other words, he's provided himself for us because God is what? He is love. He is the definition of love. Therefore, if you're trying to love someone with a love that isn't from God, is that love complete and or genuine? I'm not going to answer it for you. I'm just going to let it hang. Now, here's another question. What if we drop Jesus' name in there? Now, take a look at the Gospels. Scan down through this. Do you see evidence that what this is saying up here about Jesus is true? You see tons of evidence. You see the idea that even when Jesus comes up to somebody that the culture labeled a sinner and said was beyond saving, beyond repair, beyond salvation, Jesus still knelt down and provided healing for them, provided what they need, provided encouragement. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs, and he does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Now, here's the tricky part. When you're assessing what love is, and you're assessing where you are with your relationship with God and with others, put yourself to the test. Put yourself in there and see what happens. I want you to read this with me. Will you read it with me? Ready? I am patient. I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. I am not proud. I do not dishonor others. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. I do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. It's so quiet in here. I always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. Now, what's weird about this? What's weird about this is that we know that what we just said is not true, right? We know it's true of God. We know it's true of Jesus, but you get me to about the third line and it all falls apart. In fact, some days I don't even make it through the first line. But you want me to get all the way to the end and be a good Christian? Look, there's no such thing as a good Christian. There's not. There's a good God. And he is the one who makes the good in me. You cannot do what is required to please God. You can't do it. Anytime you want to remember that, just do this exercise. 
and then flip on the good news. Because while this looks like bad news and it looks depressing and it looks like we should despair, the good news is that God gives us Jesus to answer the question, why can I not love with God's love? Jesus is the one who answers that question. That is why he died on the cross. He died for you and me. And then he rose again from the grave to give us the Holy Spirit's power to live a life of love so that we could begin to see how love manifests itself in my life and in the lives of others. Here's how he does this. Part of this is by giving us the good news of Jesus so that we can understand it. Here's my question for you today. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus died for you? Now, maybe you can accept that Jesus died for another person down the row who's been going to church for 30 years. Maybe that person doesn't do some of the unloving stuff that you do. Who knows? Maybe they do worse. But do you believe that Jesus died for you? You and then rose again from the grave for you. Do you believe that is true? And if you believe that is true, do you join with others who also believe that is true? That is how God leads us to do things like what verse 12 talks about. Back up just to the second half of verse 11, the scripture says, wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We are getting closer to the return of Jesus as he promised. And we're also getting closer to the end of our lives. So the time we've been given is short, is it not? The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So the scripture says, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. So this idea of removing dark deeds like dirty clothes kind of makes me remember what it's like to do laundry with children in the house. Children tend to take laundry and clothing and turn it into a bloody hot mess. And you have to clean that mess up every week so that they have clean clothes to wear to school or sporting events, right? But the idea becomes kind of like when you have a baby, and we have a couple of folks in the room that might be able to identify with this. There's a certain point where babies spit up, soak so much into clothing that the clothing reeks of baby spit up no matter how many times you do what? Wash it or run it through the hot cycle. That clothing comes out of the wash smelling just like it did when it went in. Even if it looks clean, it reeks. And you know what? That baby, that sweet little baby that put all that on your clothing has no idea what kind of smell that is. They are completely oblivious. But you as mom and dad know exactly what that smells like. And for those of you who've had babies before, you can smell that smell right now, can't you? I smell it. It makes my tummy just kind of rumble a little bit. It is a smell one never forgets. But this is the idea. The scripture is literally telling us to put off old me deeds. To put off old unloving deeds as if they were smelly baby spit up clothes. The idea is, and, and the language here, if you can see it back in the scripture. 
or right where it's highlighted there, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. The idea is that those clothes reek, that old me, the old unloving habits, the old habits that focus on me, the old habits that don't forgive and keep a record of wrongs, the old habits that don't see beyond the humanity right in front of me. All that old stuff that I hang on to is like dirty, stinky, baby, spit up clothes. And scripture says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, strip that stuff off and take a shower in the Holy Spirit. We know that that's something that we have the pleasure and the honor of doing every single day. See, Jesus rose from the grave to save us. That's not just once, folks. That's every single day. And so this writer here, Paul, he's encouraging us by the power of the Holy Spirit through our consciences and how they work. Strip off the old unloving ways like clothes. Even if that means letting go of things that you think you need or things that you desire or want. Strip those things away and let them fall away and stand vulnerable before your God. In that moment, every single day, God promises to do something beautiful and amazing. He gives us the ability to put on what the NLT calls shining armor of right living. Now, what I want to reiterate as we dive into this idea, lastly, is we don't earn God's favor in our life. We don't earn it. In fact, the Bible says we can't earn it. We've established that today, haven't we? Just by the nature of how we are. But God made us and loves us and sent his son as a sacrifice for us and took care of the consequences of all that failure so that we can now live in victory. Not my victory, but the victory of Jesus. Here's how that works. We literally find ourselves trying on new clothes. Do you remember being a little kid, and for some of this is gonna be easier for some of us than others. Do you remember being a little kid trying on mom and dad's clothes? Whether you were a little girl and trying on uh, mom's pumps or a little boy trying on dad's suits or a uh, Bears fan trying on a jersey disgruntled with the production of your team. Is it too early for Bears jokes? It's the end of July. I mean, it's appropriate, isn't it? So, no, Brandon says no, it's not good. Anyway, the idea is we, we have Christ to put on. Not only did Jesus give us his body and blood on the cross and in this meal, but he gives us himself to put on like clothing. In just the same powerful way that the scripture says, put off the dirty deeds of darkness, like old nasty baby spit up clothes that don't get clean anymore, put those off. He equally says, you have access to Jesus to put on you like clothing. Now, what does your clothing do? Uh, name some functions of your clothing. One, it keeps the public from seeing the, the great glory and beauty of your naked body. What else? Getting too warm or too cold, depending on the time of year. What else does it do? It can make you look good. 
<laughs> Sometimes it doesn't, but anyway, it can make you look good, right? It has several functions. Think of Jesus in the same way. Jesus protects. Jesus presents something to the world. He protects you. He is your clothing. He is what you present to the world. And in fact, what it is, is he's presenting himself from the world on your body, in your mind and in your heart and coming out through your mouth. He is the one who gives people the desire, the vision and the goal to make people feel welcome and received and loved no matter where they are in life because that is the way he does with you and me. He makes himself accessible to people who don't deserve him. And he does it because of how much he loves them. And the them here is not some far off them. The them is right here, you and me and our spouses and our kids and our parents and our brothers and sisters and our coworkers and our neighbors and everyone. Everyone has access to the beauty that is God because of Jesus. And you and I as followers of Jesus, we can put on Jesus as clothing for all the functions that we mentioned every single day. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus. That is the shining armor that's referred to here in verse 12. Don't be confused with the idea that because we choose to do loving acts that we earn our favor with God. Let's be clear. We only receive favor from God through Jesus. Think of it this way, right before we let the kids come back in. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14 says this, and I've added some comments from the verses above. Instead of the wild parties, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral, immoral living, quarreling, or jealousy that you were used to before when you wore the old clothing of you, instead of that, the scripture says, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put him on every single day. How often do you change your clothes? hopefully every day. <laughs> it's the same way with faith in Jesus. Every day we take off the old and every day we put on the new by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's do this. Let's remember who it is who holds out his hand and who invites us into his presence in his kingdom every single day. And remember who it is that makes 1 Corinthians 13 work in a life like yours and mine. Remember that he is the one who bears that responsibility and bears that power and gives us the pleasure of the benefits and results. That is a growing family of God. And we love that and thank him for that. Let's invite the kids back in and they can join us for prayer. Come on in guys. I wanna pray with my eyes open and my arms raised as they enter the room. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for these little ones, all of us here in this room, who are little or big, by the power of your Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God, new believers and old. And as we gather together in this place, God, let us remember who it is that is love in our life. In your name we pray, and together we say, 
amen and amen. Would you stand and join me as we sing?